Good morning, everyone. Jim Laird joining you live from Grand Pacifica, Nicaragua. I'm joined by Coach Christopher Summer today, uh, former U.S. Uh, Olympic gymnastics coach. And Coach, you know, um, the thing I appreciate about Olympic coaches, um, you know, I, I, I got to mentor under Charlie Francis for a while, which was awesome. You can't just throw shit against the wall. Like, you know, there's a lot of performance coaches today. They only get athletes for six to eight weeks. And they might be able to get away with doing things that are overly aggressive yeah. and uh, long term are detrimental. But in the short term, they might get them a certain result. But down the road, they pay the price for it. When you're coaching somebody over a you know 10 year period, sure. you know, four year period for one event, there has to be immaculate preparation. And uh, that's one of the things I appreciate you about you and your program. Uh, is the the preparation. I don't think most people understand how, if you want to be a high performer or if you even want to perform at an at a average level, the amount of preparation and the time it takes to actually build a body that is capable of doing things beyond average today. An average American is is very incapable. So I'd be curious to get to your, your comments on that. Well, it's an excellent point. And the, the wannabes do annoy me and drive me crazy. You'll get people who you know, I once removed a splinter from Kobe Bryant, you know, so I was, I trained Kobe Bryant. I'm like, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> and there, there was a trainer in Miami. He was carrying on about how he, he had created, was it, uh, oh goodness, Dave, Dwayne. Anyway, a big NBA player. He's like, yeah, I'm responsible. Like, so he comes in your gym and he trains. He's like, yeah. So you were there for all his developmental years. You do all his technical training. You're well, no, he comes to my gym to train. Like, you didn't create shit. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a supplemental role. Uh, in terms of creating a world-class performer, basically we're going to look at it in uh, three to four-year blocks. Mm -hmm. So three to four years with a good coach, with a good coach who knows what they're doing, three to four years to maybe get about 75% of potential another three or four years to get to 90 and another three to four years to push it up into 95. Yep. And then as and, soon and that's as it heats up, it's going to drop back down to 75. That's where the box and that's is. If, and that's if that person has all the right qualities to perform the sport at a high level, right? It's if they have the right phenotype, the right tools, if you have the right, right chemistry between coach and athlete. Someone can be a great athlete, and they're right. not made. I've, I've seen great athletes who need a lot of maintenance and they have to be really pushed and nudged and cajoled. And I won't yeah. work with that athlete. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. If, if I want it more than they do, I'm walking. Or and, and I know you've, you've talked about this a lot before. A lot of the gifted guys end up washing out because they oh, rely so much on their athleticism. And then when they run into any kind of resistance, you might have somebody like a Tom Brady or somebody like a, a Mike Singletary who's not as gifted, but because they have resilience, because they've they've handled struggle, you know, they've been benched, they maybe didn't start right away. Um, everything hasn't come easy to them. They're able to to overcome um, the adversity. And a, a lot of athletes that are extremely gifted end up washing out. It's a lack of grit. It's a yeah. lack of grit. It's how I think of it. Uh, an easy way to avoid that if you're developing athletes is don't complement results, complement yep. effort. That is correct. That is an so, excellent point. Uh, 
uh, early 90s, right, right in there. You know, I've got some of the best athletes in the country, but it really bothered me that if I have a group of 10 athletes, one is a winner and the other nine are losers. It, it bothered me a lot. Yeah. And so I implemented that uh, we weren't going to go by scores anymore. We weren't going to go by medals or titles. We were simply going to go by effort at competitions. Mm. So six events, potential of six hits if they had a stuck landing, all based on what their best effort was. So I'd have, then I'd rank them, you know, guys are competitive. I'd rank them. They have to line up before and after workouts. So I might have a little guy who can barely walk straight in the mm -hmm. front of the line who just gave me everything he had. And I'd have national team athletes in the middle of the line, you know, so yeah. just because you're more talented. My, my reasoning with them is gentlemen inside these four walls, the world is fair inside these four walls, your effort is valued. I said, outside these walls, no one later is going to give a shit. They are not going to care. You're either a stud and you're going to produce for your boss or you don't, and you're going to get failed. I said, but yeah. that's later. That's when you're adult right now, you need to learn how to work. You need to learn how yeah. to be responsible. You need to learn how to have perseverance. Interestingly, they, they would, we'd be in national championships. My guys wouldn't even look at the judges. They'd salute and walk away. They didn't wait for a score. They didn't do anything. They, just, they didn't care. Coach was a hit or miss. They were winning yeah. everything. Our, our first year at state, we won like 50 state titles when I did that. And it That's was awesome. a free year. Cause the, focus you know, when I, when I would work, when I would work with teams, you know, high school teams or college teams, I would always spend a lot of time with like, because the, the, the guys that were gifted generally didn't care about training. Um, no. They kind of came into the weight room and they did their thing. And, and the thing about those guys, like I had a friend of mine who was a strength coach at a very prominent school. And he was like, oh, man, we've gotten such great results. I'm like, you're working with Ferraris, dude. All you got to do is like not screw them up. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like go to like like Walla Walla, Washington State or like go to a D3 school and then and show me what you can do with those guys. Right. I always used to love putting a lot of time and effort into the second and third string guys and because yeah. they would work really, really hard. And they would also if if you gave them some attention and you actually because, you know, the, the the stars, the coaches are kissing their butt, um, you know, and, and I help them, too. Don't get me wrong. But um, I really liked working with those backup guys, because guess what? They got better in the weight room. They were able to get better on the court and they drove the guys ahead of them. You know, so I, I love when you can bring the bottom up, it, it really if, if you just if you're a coach and you put all your effort on your gifted guys, um, you know, if you give those second, third string guys a little bit of attention, man, they'll go to the wall and the, it pushed the starters. And then the starters would really love, you know, when some of the backup guys would get in. They just absolutely loved it. Um, so it builds like a lot a of a lot of the team chemistry. Missed is by, by coddling their best athletes, they're actually short-circuiting their long-term potential. I've, I've thrown Olympians yeah. out yeah. of the gym. Then they coach, you, you can't. He's yeah. got nationals next week. He said, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. That attitude's unacceptable. Because sport, I'm, I'm a bit of a throwback, but sport should be used in my program as a methodology for creating gentlemen, for creating young men, for building character. And the athletics is secondary yeah. because everyone, regardless of how big a stud they are, is eventually going to retire. And at that point, if all you have is a bunch mm -hmm. of titles and a bunch of medals and some past glory, 
who cares? The last thing the world needs is another ex knuckle knuckle dragging jock. I mean, what what good are you to yourself or society? You're you're worthless. So we always did I, that. I talked first. To, yeah, I talked about that yesterday. I did a little preview to the show, and I talked about how sports for for youth, particularly, everyone needs to play sports, and it's not about making it to the pros. It's about developing character. It's about gracias. It's about developing character. It's about developing. Um, you know, work ethic. That's why athletes get jobs. They know how to win and lose. They know how to work together as a team. They know how to deal with difficult personalities. So coach, we live in this world today where children don't play outside. I mean, they don't go outside at all. They don't have physics. When I grew up in Canada, we had gymnastics in phys ed. I think gymnastics is a foundational uh, sport. Like I think every child, regardless of their build and structure, should be able to do basic gymnastic skills. And when I was in, when I was in elementary school, I remember even the kids that weren't in that great of shape could do real basic things that most people can't do today. And now you've got the training, the level of training is going here, all these fancy tricks and gadgets and fancy stuff. And the level of the preparation, uh, the preparedness of the population is going down. Yes. How are we going to deal with that? Like I, I find myself as a strength and conditioning coach becoming more of a physical, a, phys a PE coach, you know, you're, you're not going to deal with it. You're not. It's going to be uh, evolution and action. The the ones who are predisposed in order to work. So, my my oldest daughter is a good example. Little pocket rocket, five two, five three, hundred pounds, and uh, she does a lot of think tank work in D.C. and that. And people just don't see it coming that she's this intense and this focused because she's beautiful and she's sweet. And if you drop the ball, this young woman will eat you alive. She will eat you alive and just hold you accountable and says, no, you can't support that argument. Well, no, I really feel I can. Show me in the document where it says it. Well, yeah. it doesn't really, but I feel I'm not interested in what you feel. What can you support? What are the facts? Because every, awesome. everyone looks at life. I shouldn't say everyone. A lot of people tend to look at life as these uh, different lanes, different aspects. I've got my physical training. I've got my family. I've got my professional life. I've got my hobbies. I've got my friends. And no, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I believe you have one lane and the way that you approach one thing is how you're going to approach everything. And yeah. so if you are a fuck up in one area, it's eventually going to bleed into other things. And we have a hard time. Sometimes the ones I, we see it with high level athletes. They don't know how to transition or spec ops guys. They don't know how to transition after. Yeah. You know, I have a very specific skill set. He said, but you have to sit them down. He said, you know, I, I don't want to dismiss your skill set, but your skill sets are irrelevant now. It doesn't matter. What matters right. is the character you develop, the focus you developed. He says, well, and you get guys, well, I, you know, I'm not good at marketing. I said, well, you weren't good at putting an M60 before, together before either, but you learned how to do it. I said, right. all these are other skills. You just have to approach them the same way. And sometimes they can do it. Kind of depends on how bright they are. Uh, well, a lot of it depends on how bright. Are they bright enough to see connections, synergy between things that appear to be unrelated or, you know, if, if they're if they're more average, they're going to struggle more. But 
goodness, if you can, if you can get them on the right track, say, you know what, you know how to work, work, you know how to learn, learn, you know how to be uncomfortable, be uncomfortable. You know it's going to suck for X amount of time to get proficient. Just be uncomfortable. Yeah. And then they do well. But too many people, in my opinion, they break stuff up unnecessarily. Do you, uh, when you start working with uh, with athletes, do you talk about the end? Do you start preparing them? I do. When I meet with like 12, oh. 13, 14-year-olds, I tell them, you know, this isn't going to last forever. What other hobbies do you have? What other sports do you have? I think I find that a lot of athletes, the, the sport becomes their identity instead of it being, you know, your your Jim Laird, who's a really good person who happens to be a power lifter or happens to be a wrestler. They, they start identifying as Jim Laird, the wrestler or Jim Laird, the power lifter, as opposed to like something you do. Um, is that some conversations you have with with your guys? Constantly. Because yeah. a, a well-balanced life has seasons. Yes. It has, it has seasons. So my current season of life, I don't have this at 60. I don't have the same energy I had at 30 and 40. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do the 18-hour days, day in, day out, day in, day out. I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. My, my job at this point is uh, to pass on what I've learned and to prepare the next generation for their time in the sun. You know, but it's... A lot, a lot of unnecessary stress comes from people wanting to have that eternal spring. And there's, there's no such animal. There, there's just not. And so if they accept that from the beginning or know that there's going to be a transition. So I, I have a lot of athletes that end up being engineers and attorneys and doctors simply because from the first day they stepped in the gym, he's a gentleman, you know, this is a training tool for a good life. Yes. You know, they have to be polite. God help them if their parents come to me and say, so-and-so is not doing their homework. Really? So-and-so was disrespectful to me. Really? Really? We're, we're, we're going to fix that immediately. Gentlemen, we are not playing those games. That's uh, great. I won't, I won't train just everyone. So, What advice I, would you give to parents in today's world as far as – how to approach athletic development with young athletes and uh, character development uh, to give them the best chance of not only being the best athlete they're capable of um, and uh, also just to be a good person in general. What, what general advice would you give parents if you, they came to you with like a four or five year old kid? Starts at home. So what, what a lot of parents don't realize is that I'm interviewing them as well as the athlete. <laughs> And if the parents and I aren't on the same page, I'm not going to take them because eventually what they're, what's going to happen is they're going to end up with two competing sets of values. There's going to be my values that I'm pushing in the gym and yeah, I've got them 20, 30 hours a week, but then their parents have them the other hours and their school, the other hours for it to work. Everyone has to be on the same page. Generally, it doesn't have to be a carpet copy. And so we generally, with successful parents, we run into two types. We get those who work really, really hard and are focused and are uh, not full of themselves, if that makes sense. And yeah. then we'll get prima donnas who come in. So, you know, I had a nice group of athletes who, uh, they were young, parents were nice, and they had switched from another program. And the mom said, aren't you so excited to have them? And I said, well, No. And her, her face just fell. She's like, what? 
she's used to being coddled. And I said, don't get me wrong, we're, we're, we're happy to have you here, but I'm not even going to know what we have till after a year of training. I don't know right. where they're going to go. I don't, I don't know. Are these issues congenital? Are these issues I can fix with training? So I, I don't know, but we'll have an idea in a year. So in a year, in a year, we'll see. And they're just not used to thinking about that. Uh, yeah. Parents, a, a nice clue is parents who spend time with their kids. Parents who spend time with their kids, even if they're not getting everything right, kids are more or less going to be pretty good. They're going to and be kids dead. tend to follow examples. You know, they, they tend, you know, when parents would come to me and be like, well, my kid's up late at night on the phone or they're watching TV. Like, what are you doing? One of I'm my mentors yeah. hammered that into me hard. So uh, Rob had taught me that he, he was a city engineer for a lot of small towns in eastern Arizona. So he'd be traveling, but he worked at home also. And he'd always leave his office door open. So the kids would see him working. And so I did the same thing with my, my kids growing up. They would see me working. And so both my daughters have ridiculous work ethics. Just, just ridiculous. I think, gosh, match mine. Yeah. And it, some, of, some of it's lecture, which, yeah, I, I tend to go on. I'll, I'll give them that. It drives them crazy. But uh, what, what they absorb is exactly what you said. What did they see? What did you right. do? That's right. that's the stuff that maybe when they're young, they'll do what you say. But once they hit those teenage years, especially post-adolescence, they're they're going to start doing what you showed them. And there, there's no right. amount of talking that's going to derail that. Absolutely. You know, the thing I ran into with parents, I'd always had parents come in and they would dominate the conversation. They bring their athlete in and be like this, this, he needs to do this. He needs to do that. He needs to, you know. And I would always say, look, you need to sit over there and I want to talk to your kid yeah. because I'm not training you. OK, like does this kid want to work with me or is he are you living through your kid? And I would literally tell the kid, I was like, look, tell me, like, you know, I would I'd make the parents leave the room if they're really overbearing. Okay. And I would say, look, do you want to be here? And they'd be like some of them would be like, no, I said, OK, that, that we don't waste each other's time. Have a good day. Good. And the parents would beg me. And I'm like, if your son doesn't want to be here or your daughter doesn't want to be here, I can't help you. And the other kids would be like, yes, I really want to do this. Uh, you know, and I said, OK, here's the here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. You have to do this, this and this. You have to put an effort into lifestyle. If you don't do these things, you're just wasting my time and yours and your parents money. I said, I want you to call me and tell me you want to do it. I don't want to hear from your parents. I said, you're going to make your own schedule. And if the parents didn't like that, then I just let them go on their way. Um, Absolutely. You know, and, and I and I also the, the smart thing I did. Yeah, I, I can't work with somebody whose parents are the ones driving them. Right. And, and a lot of the parents are driving their kids. You know, when I was in Florida here this last year, these kids are playing three and four soccer games on a Sunday, full games, And then they're bringing them to training with me and I'm and they're exhausted. I mean, just cooked. And, I'm, and they're like, why aren't you training them harder? And I'm like, because they're wrecked already. They just played four games yesterday. They don't need to do any intense stuff. Well, they're, they're not in very good shape. Because that's that because they're exhausted. The a lot of the ones who are pushing the kids so hard are not studs themselves in one area or more of their life. Right. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, the culture that we've created here in the U.S. with the specificity of sports. 
Um, and and I, it's, it's appalling to me. Um, when you work with athletes, do you help? Like if you see you got someone in your gymnastics program, who's just not built like a gymnast, do you like kind of nudge them into a different direction or they might not have the individual. So we, yeah. a lot of times I won't say all, but, uh, I would end up keeping a lot of athletes for 10 plus years. Uh, and I would, I would get fussed at, especially the Russian coaches. My friends who are Russian national team coaches would just fuss at me. They'd carry on and say, what are you doing? Cause I'd, I'd have 30, 50 guys on team. Right. Five of them should have been there talent wise. They said, right. what are you doing? What are you doing? You only work with the good ones. And I said, well, no, this is America. This is America. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm interested in as long as someone is going to bust their ass for me. Right. And I'm going to give them an opportunity. I really didn't care if they were good. I cared right. if they gave me best effort continuously. Then I'd have room for them. But uh, the opposite applied also. I didn't care how talented someone was if they were a pain in the ass. You know, yeah. go, go waste someone else's time. But... Yeah. I'm a, I'm a throwback that way. And I, I was successful enough that we had a lot of people who wanted into the program so I could be selective. And I, I was old enough that I was also selfish with my time sure. that I wasn't willing to uh, just sell out for a dollar, a dollar this week and how much headache years from now. So, no, no, it's going to be, I'm a big believer in win-win. So it has to be a win for me and it has to be a win for them. Or I, I just don't think it's sustainable. Let's talk a little bit about ad adaptation. I, I I don't think people um, really appreciate how long it actually takes. I mean, you can do some crazy things to survive. You know, if you're in an emergency situation, I mean, you can do like women will lift trees off kids, you know, just sheer adrenaline, you know. Um, but let, let's talk about how long does it actually take the body to adapt to a new stressor and the, Years. the, the systematic approach that you need to take. If you want to, you know, like you, I'll have people that like, they haven't jumped rope in like 30 years and then they go and jump rope for like, you know, five minutes and then they can't walk for six days. You yeah. know, it's just like people, people just don't understand. Like when you're first starting out, you really don't have to do that much to get better. And I like, it's, it's, I like to be. People get confused. I, I like for someone who's a brand new beginner, we're just going to pump the brakes for six to seven months. Yeah. We're just going to be mellow. And then there's, there's two ways you can do it after that. Uh, I don't like powerlifting programming. I really Maybe don't. Do I. I'm uh, a former powerlifter. <laughs> I think they, they ride the razor's edge too much. And, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, for their sport, it's necessary. But if right. you're not a power lifter, Correct. what are you doing? What are well, you doing? Then, you know, let's make a, a differentiate. Uh, power lifting is about lifting really heavy things. In, In order to lift maximally heavy position, you have to basically restrict movement. Like if you're under a thousand pound squat, you don't want to move. Yeah. So you're turning yourself into a mobile object. Yes. Gymnastics works. You manage the extremes of movement options and you get more movement options in gymnastics. Yes. That's why I incorporate a lot of gymnastics and basic things into my programming, especially when I'm working with older people. 
if you're just doing a strictly bodybuilding, bodybuilding is different because if you work through full ranges of motion, you can get things work like the scapula working well. Mm -hmm. You can do things like that if it's done properly. But most people do everything with their shoulder blades pinned together so they can lift heavier weights. Yeah. The thing I love about gymnastics and, and strength training, if it's appropriate, you know, if you're pressing with a reach and you're, you're doing pull downs with a reach where you're actually reaching mm -hmm. and shifting, right? Cause most people don't realize the body move, you walk through turning your thorax, your pelvis turns one way, your thorax moves the sure. other way. When, so if, if you some, just, if someone has if, a bulging disc, one of the best things they can do is walk that's that through the hips and yep. they, oh, and, it's, not, yep. it's not enough load. No, it'll be just fine. Go walk. And, and so these people that take these older folks and try and get them as strong as possible in the power lifts are doing them a huge disservice. You know, one huge. of the best things you can do with older people is get them down on the floor moving around, right? Uh, we you know, like, bear crawls, yeah, rolling around on their back, all sorts of stuff. An, an optimal surplus of strength is the goal. Yes. yes. So depend, depending upon what your activity level is going to be, how much strength do you need to be successful at it, plus some extra in case you overindulge or you find yourself in an mm -hmm. unexpected situation, and then shut it down. I mean, if you're a strength yeah. athlete, an Olympic lifter or a power lifter, that's going to get skewed. But yeah. I've never, I've never seen the strongest athlete or the strongest person in the weight room, whether Olympic lifting or power lifting, be the best athlete on the field of play. Never it seen takes it away. It takes away from athleticism. There's a reason why powerlifters and Olympic lifters are not dominating the NFL. It takes it away from athleticism. You so know, is it old Oldman? It was. I think he was the '92 gold medalist in uh, shoot. I want to say it was shot put. Can't remember if shot yeah. put or discus. I want to say shot put. And he's talking about his training for the year or two prior. And a good strength coach was interviewing him. The guy's sharp, but he had blinders on. He had blinders. He was, he was being told something he didn't like. And so what he had told him was, you know, I'd gotten really strong, but when I lowered all my weights, my throws went further. And he said, okay, yep. but you used to work really, really hard. And he said, yeah, I did. But when I lowered the weights, my performance increases. Yeah, but you used to. He says, yes, I did used to. He said, well, it was that foundation for all those years. He said, perhaps. You know, this is a big, huge guy. He's a huge yeah. guy. He's got, he's got to be, what, 230, 250 at least. Yeah. He said, yeah, I had a lot of benefit from doing jump squats with 135 pounds. Yeah. And it blew the guy. Just He just couldn't take it. He kept coming to it. He kept coming to it. And if they'll look at it that it's a tool. And we get stronger until we have a decrease in performance. Trade-offs. Yep. And a lot of, and, and I get it. A lot of people have never gotten too strong. And a lot of coaches have never made an athlete too strong. Or in, in gymnastics, we're both the technical coach, the performance coach, and the conditioning coach. So I see the result of what happens. Right. I think a big problem with a lot of strength coaches is they're not on the field of play. They don't know if what they're doing is working or not. They just yeah. see numbers in the gym. That's and, correct. Gosh, we had uh, Marquette University, the strength coach there, was using our stuff when their basketball team made it to the Elite Eight. 
And uh, Todd had asked me, you know, coach, come take a look at the guys. Give me, give me some feedback. What can we do? And, you know, invite to some games and this and that. And I said, well, you know, actually I need to see him in the gym. I need to see him in practice, you know, during the game is cool, you know, and thank you for the invitation. And I enjoyed it, but it's not giving me enough information to give you the kind of feedback you're looking for. Right. So I don't, I don't know if it's possible, but you know, if someone is a strength coach and he wants to be serious about it, he's got to be watching all his position players. He's got to be going to every game. He's got to be watching what worked, what didn't. Wow. What, what injuries there's, there's a doc who makes his uh, he's made millions of dollars by going in and fixing injuries caused by powerlifting strength coaches. And his secret weapon is a Nordic curl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're, they're all getting uh, hamstring pulls from their sprinting in that. So he goes in, he does Nordic curls with them and they're like, gosh, you're the, you're the smartest guy we've ever seen in our whole life. (laughs) Well, and uh, you know, Bondercheck saw the great, uh, you know, throwing coach talked a lot about that where his athletes never went over 75% in the weight room ever. And greatest throwing coach of all time. Everything was done for speed and explosive power. There wasn't any need to grind it. He said maybe once a year we might test their strength, but that's it. Uh, there's no need for slow grinding things. We, you know, throwing a, a hammer, throwing a shot put, throwing a javelin is not a slow grinding event. It's an excellent you know, point. And and I, the thing I like, you know, I always deal with a lot of high school coaches, and they're doing very aggressive powerlifting. And, um, you know, when they, athletes they are, pushed, yeah, when they're, they're put, when they're being pushed very hard, they tend to use that really hard arch strategy, right? When you reinforce the arching on the bench, they're arching on the deadlift, they're arching on the clean, they're arching on their curls, they're arching with squats. Guess what shows up on the field? You can't get out of that hard arch. They, they, they run down the field like a duck. Yeah. You can't move. You can't rotate. You might be able to get away with it if you're an old lineman. But if you're a DB and you have to pivot and things like that, that's why I love front squats. I love things like that that don't, you know, I don't like having my athletes jam their shoulder blades together all the time. You start losing the ability to move the thorax. Overhead yeah. press. Even the power lifters were admit, if you want to increase your bench, train overhead press seriously. Yeah. If you do bench hard, is it going to help your overhead? No. If you do overhead, is it going to help your bench? Yes. Well, to my mind, why aren't you taking low hanging fruit? What are you guys benching like that for? Right. No. Right. Well, know. and there's a difference for benching for maximum weight, pulling those shoulder blades together really hard and arching is great for powerlifting, but it has no sure. athletic application whatsoever. Well, so. and too many of them. So I've got, I've got some SEAL team, six people that we're having some discussions right now. They're, re- they're retired. We've had active, but right now they're retired. And they've kind of fallen into this football player mentality, you know, where they, they want, and it's like, you know, guys, you're spec ops. Last time I checked, you don't operate in 10 second bites of activity. No. <laughs> what, 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 what is going on guys? And so, you know, visit with some other people and you know, what, what they're, what, what they're coming back and saying, you know, coach, they're, they're basically full of shit because they're telling you that they're training like power lifters and they won't run but just being in the teams, they're running 20 to 30 miles a week. So sure. their training on their own may not contain all these things, but the 
peripheral work they're doing most certainly sure. does. But and it doesn't mean you have to completely give up on the power lifts. It just means you do them in right. a different way, right? Yeah, you do you, 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 you incorporate bump yeah, the reps. Incorporate up. some some dumbbell presses where you're actually reaching and not pulling your shoulder blades together. Absolutely, you know, you're doing some stuff after the bench where you're machine. hanging. Yeah, some of the yeah. hammer strength stuff, the Cybex mm -hmm. stuff that has isolateral converging for its range yeah. of motion. I can push them really, really hard but it's safe, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. I'm not. Well, it, it increases movement options instead of takes them away, you know, and that increases movement options. It lets us, I do, depending on what we're looking for and what the parameters are. So if someone is uh, law enforcement, if they're military, if they're uh, a high level athlete, it's probably not appropriate to take them to failure simply because it's going to decrease performance for a couple of days after, you know, I can't, I can't be out in the field and completely crush myself yeah. and not be able to move when they say it's time to get on the chopper. <laughs> oh shit, I can't yeah. walk. But for your, for normal people, I like failure. I, yeah. I like failure a lot, uh, but I like it done in the right way. I don't, I find it interesting. Tom Platts comes to mind where he was so smooth on his squat work, beautiful technique, beautiful position, high weight, but with very high rep. But yeah. then when he would do some of his other movements, he was just being a spaz. He would do leg extensions and he's, he's kicking and he's twisting and he's rocking the machine. And I was like, <laughs> what, what are you doing? And then he's like, yeah, I got good results. I said, but you tore your bicep, dude. Yeah. I mean, what? And so you, you get people who are this funny mix of they're going to be meticulous and then they're going to be careless at the same time and they don't even realize they're doing it. Yeah. But yeah, either I like either you're going to do, you're going to do failure for one set, mm -hmm. one set. Now you need a little bit of volume. So I might take three different exercises and take three different exercises to failure for a set, or I'm just going to do steady state. You know, you're going to pick a weight. We've had some guys get crazy numbers over three years on just basic powerlifting stuff. They're doing, you know, five sets of 10. But right. some of the weight these guys were doing, and basically a steady state is they're going to stay with a weight for 10, 12 weeks or more and then yep. bump it up. People some are just not patient. They're, these guys were beasts. <laughs> but yep. it's... It's not exciting. People don't like it. They get right. bored. I think if nothing else, if they, if they could just enjoy the process. Correct. You know, instead of being so focused on the end, like we, we've had people who were training for Olympics. I was helping, I was in a supplemental role for some, uh, I want to say 2004. We had a coach who was uh, prepping Carly for Olympic trials and they, they hated gymnastics, the two of them. Carly hated gymnastics. Jeff hated gymnastics. They hated competing. They hated each other. But they thought Olympics was going to be this fairy tale and change their life. Mm. And, you know, yeah, it's cool. It's great, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, it's just another athletic competition. Yeah. And they, they lost sight of that. And they were miserable. They were miserable. We'd, we'd be in the same gym with them, just looking at it. God, why are you guys bothering? 
why are you bothering? And then, of course, you know, I think she ended up ninth. Ninth. And so, you know, oh, it was this terrible. She got her first international meeting assignment, but they were like, oh, it's a terrible failure. You know, life has no meaning. I was like, what are you talking about? Sure. You got your first international meet. Go enjoy it. They were going down to Chile. And so I pulled Carly aside. He said, you know, I heard the ice cream in Chile is like freaking awesome. <laughs> got to check it out. And it's post-Olympics. She's got her thing. And they make her eat salads the whole freaking time. I was like, yeah. what was the point? I don't, I don't understand why you guys are even bothering if you don't enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, enjoy, enjoy what you're doing. If you've achieved world-class performance, great. Yeah. And if you don't, then it's still successful. Absolutely. You brought up a really interesting point, something that I um, – talk to when I'm mentoring young coaches, I said the best way you can lose your job very quickly and the best service you can do to your athletes is beat them up in training so much that they can't practice their sport. Yes. And that would happen. I see that a lot. Yes. Yeah. I, it's, it's not, you know, you as a strength coach, you're there to support them, to help them move better, uh, to help them uh, bring up weak areas in their game, whether that's, you know, conditioning or whatever their, their, their big weak spot is. But, you know, you're not trying to turn them into world-class weightlifters. No. Um, if you train them so hard that they can't practice their skill, then then you you've done a disservice not only to yourself but to the athlete. Well, and I think I think they're misunderstand. So if I if I develop an athlete, well, we'll take Alan. Alan was an alternate for Tokyo Olympics. So I had Alan starting at six, and I trained him sixteen thousand hours over the next 12 years and we track the hours. So, you know, it's not an exaggeration. It's at least 16,000 hours. And then after that, he goes to college and he gets another four to six years of training before trials come. Right. But I can, I can, I'm responsible for performance all along the way. The strength coach's mistake is that, they're not involved really with the athletic development of the young person under their care. And so they, they kind of put, they restrict their worldview to just within the walls of that weight room. And it, it doesn't work that way, you know, as, as a, as a coach or, so if we look at NBA, if we look at NHL, we've got some good NHL players who for the life, I had three of them, two from the Hawks, one from the Islanders, and they could not squat past 90 degrees to save their life. I was like, well, guys, let's, let's see what I got to work with. Squat down. You know, sure. They went to 90 degrees and stopped. And I was like, bullshit. Bullshit. You got you guys are screwing with me. And there's a coach, I swear to God, I can't squat deeper than this. And I was like, are you serious? And one of them, one of them was like, Yeah, my you know, my shoulders are all effed up and I my arms are out just held like this. And I said, well, what, what did your team strength coach is a black Hawk strength coach. And he's like, well, he was happy. He says, yeah, now you're locked in place. You're going to have way better strength. on your shots." I was like, what a, he's a professional. What a moron. Are you kidding me? And we, we didn't even do anything. We did, uh, stretched them. That first one with Duncan, we stretched them for maybe an hour nothing hard, nothing advanced. He certainly didn't set any milestones. 
And the reason we ended up with those three is he was so excited by how good he felt the next day on the ice. He's like, I haven't felt this good in years and years and years. He was so excited. You're a miracle worker. You're this guy. And you know what? Pump your brakes. We didn't do jack shit. It was one hour, dude. If anything, what we did is we maybe, if it, we, for the people who have hair, we got some tangles out. <laughs> but we, we certainly didn't accomplish anything structurally. But these guys, I don't, I don't understand the deal. But to go back to the original point, these, these professional sports, because there's no longevity. Remember, I had Alan for 12 years, 16,000 hours. I was in charge of everything everything. Now he was, he was lucky that he was my final generation. So I wasn't wet behind the ears. I didn't make a lot of mistakes. I had a lot of generations prior to him, but for NFL and that these guys are surviving despite terrible coaching. You know, they not, not saying that people didn't have good intention, but what are the odds you're going to get a world-class strength coach at your high school? possible it happens but i wouldn't hold my breath or you're gonna have a great developmental coach so these guys were just such genetic studs that they survived all the bullshit that was being tossed their way that was changing every couple of years as they move from pop warner to junior high to high school to college to the pros they're just surviving and so it's, it's a very, imagine what this, I, I often wonder what these guys could have done if uh, they actually had someone who knew what the hell they were doing. You know, as good as they are, you know, what, would it be, is it just the nature of the sport that you're going to be done in three to four years regardless, just because 250 pound bodies aren't meant to slam into other 250 pound bodies at full speed? day in, day out? Is it just three and four years in your shot anyway? Or could some changes be affected if they had better preparation over a longer period of time for durability and resilience? Uh, we had uh, we had one, one student who was going through Delta Force selection, and I didn't have a lot of time with him. We'd had maybe seven months and uh we it was it was an impact but not as solid enough if we'd had years and in the after action report from uh from gunny wolf it was like yeah it's it's all it was all the joint prep that was he almost made it through he made it to the final saturday and then couldn't couldn't make the the time cut there so it's about a month-long process we can go into that another time the specifics but he's like, yeah, it's all the broken ground. It's the twisted ankle. It's the knee. It's the, you know, bumping into this, falling down on that. It's, it's building that resilience and durability that is what gives longevity. It's not your maximal strength, which, you know, if I'm, if I'm training someone for spec ops, I'm max strength is third on my list. I want, I want durability and resilience first. Then I need endurance. You can call endurance or strength endurance. And then finally at the end, okay, I'm interested in max strength. But if you're not durable, if you're the strongest guy in the world, but you're fragile and brittle, or what was the one Olympic lifting guy? He was number one. I can't remember his name. He was number one in our country for years. And 
I remember being shocked. He was in a he was talking on a podcast that he changed his lifting shoes, and it was in, his knee was it was enough to blow his knee out. Well, how fragile is your body that a shoe that's the same height as all the other shoes, but slightly different angle is enough that you blow your knee? It's like. Or even I'll see Olympic lifters who are very flexible in the squat and nowhere else. Nowhere else. And then I get people who are, yeah, I want to be an athlete and I'm going to do Olympic lifting. Okay. And what else are you going to do with it? Well, I'm just going to do Olympic lifting. It's it's going to give everything I need. And I said, well, I wish. Can you imagine how beautiful that would be? I have to do two things and I'm done. That'd be great doesn't work that specificity works until it doesn't right and that's one of the biggest things that in the united states that they don't do well is bring guys in get them highly specialized for their performance and then have an off season where you bring some general preparedness back and you 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 bring back uh different things they've done in their past that's why the russian Mm -hmm. conjugate system uh you know from their youth put the kids in all sorts of different sports. A lot of their Absolutely. off-season weightlifters would be playing ping-pong on the off-season to give themselves an active rest. You know, they'd yeah, be that's doing... funny you say that. The Russian gymnasts are insane for playing ping-pong. It's like, yeah. well, that and drinking vodka and eating rotisserie chicken. But ping-pong's way up that's on right. the list. And lots of salt with bread. Um, it, it, <laughs> so, you know, we don't do a really good job here of like, peaking people and then giving them some time off for them to decompress and then giving, bringing back, you know, just general preparedness, you know, and then bringing them, building that base up again so they can peak again later. We don't, we don't do a, a good job of that here. Uh, I don't, unfortunately. No, it's in, I, I think it's because they've, they've mistaken. They've not clearly understood their own journey of athletic development. So they, they remember being in high school and joining a team and getting stronger and getting faster. And so they think, well, everything that I did just now was the only thing I need to do. And what they've forgotten is you had spent 12 years running around like a maniac, biking everywhere. I mean, yeah. good God. We never, I used to bike across Phoenix. Oh, and I know. I know. we didn't go, oh, it's too hot today. Oh, it's an off day. Oh, this is a recovery day. Oh, I can't. No, I just, I need, I've got somewhere I need to be. Or wrestling, yep. it was this constant, huge volume matrix of movement. And yes. then we added, just like you said, we added specificity on top of that. And then later on, they lose that huge matrix, that foundation, and they only go specific, and it gradually just tapers off. And then they yes. say, well, I've just gotten old. Well, no, you've been inactive. Right. Of course it breaks down. Well, and I think too, there's this attitude that you can constantly improve. Like, you know, I tell people all the time, I would tell coaches that I work with, like, oh, we're going to bring him into the season, like at a hundred percent. And I'm like, well, how long do you expect to maintain that hundred percent for? Yeah. I said, why don't you bring him into the season at 85%, 75% and let them play themselves into shape and be, be good when it matters. Like, I don't care how good a shape you're in at the beginning of the year. How good a shape are you in at the end when it matters? Like that's the key. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I had that conversation with an NHL guy. And he's like, yeah, they want me to peak and that. And I said, why would you want to peak? 
that makes no sense to me. You're not a power lifter. You're not an Olympic lifter. Why would you get really, really strong before season and then stop and hope your strength lasts you to the end of the season? I said, that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Why don't work at a lower intensity and, and maintain, maintain the entire nice, season? Yeah. It's just, it's nuts. We, we condition. Gosh, the Russians, I learned this from the Russians. We do our normal conditioning the day of national championships. We don't, yep. we don't change anything because at that point, what we're doing is we're, we're putting the final sharp edge on an already sharp weapon. Right. We're not grinding it down and getting a coarse edge. This is a fine edge. It's like the final thing they do with a samurai sword sharpening it is going to be string and chalk. That's the final stage of sharpening it. And so, no, we're not trying to get stronger. The strength you have is the strength you have. We just want to maintain what you have. Right. And these, they miss that. They miss it constantly. I, I used a, I use a dynamic warm up with the teams I would work with. Uh, it was like a floor based and a, and a standing based warm up. It's based on a lot. I stole a lot of it from the Parisi School of Strength and Speed, uh, Bill okay. Parisi. And it's a lot of like rolling around on the ground, fire hydrants you know, mm -hmm. uh, pogo hops. And we would do these warmups and, and I worked with a high school team uh, in, in Kentucky, who is a very, very good basketball program. And just by getting these guys down on the floor and doing real basic things, it just opened up their ability to run, to change levels. We did wow. that every single time before we worked out and we would do it before games. We'd get down on the floor. They'd be doing glute bridges, knee circles, you yeah. know, all sorts of different walk-ups, you know, they'd be doing, uh, you know, down dogs, all this stuff in the warm up, and the people are looking at them. And we would do this before just their base. And then the day after the game, they're beat up, they're sore. We would do that to get a lot of that soreness out. Absolutely. And it just became their foundation. And we did that regardless, you know, before weightlifting, before practice, and they could do it. And, and it was just autopilot for them. Um, you know, if you want to. Two, two easy tests to see if someone, what their natural athletic ability is or where they're currently at. Watch them do uh, a bear crawl. Yep. Or watch a gymnast do a bear crawl. Yes. And they're going to haul ass across the field. And everyone else is going to look like a Clydesdale. And watch them run backwards. Yep. Yep. Those two things there pretty much tells me what I have to work with. You know, whether, whether they're going to be a stud doesn't mean they're not going to be strong or steady, sure. but I, I'm going to know if they're a thoroughbred or not just from those two things, checking. Absolutely. Like, I can and make that, them stronger. I can make them more flexible, yeah. but I can't make them more athletic. That's kind of, you're born with, it's like speed, right? You're born faster. You're not, I, I can refine right. it, right. but I can't make you fast. I can make you flexible if you're tight. I'd much rather have a tight athlete and then train them to be mobile, train them to have flexibility because someone most of the time, if they're naturally flexible, their joints are loose. There's exceptions out of thousands sure. and maybe five who had mm -hmm. perfect strength and flexibility together. They all drop out, mm -hmm. but I'd much rather have someone who's tight and then fix it than someone who's right. loose and falls apart. Yeah, and training hyper training hypermobile people is 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 not fun. Well, it's not <laughs> only not fun; it's pointless. It's yeah. it's it's pointless beyond 
if you're looking for high levels of performance, it's pointless. If you're looking to increase their quality of life, as long as they understand that we're going to hit a right. ceiling pretty quick, then it's fine. Unless you know, their sport is contortionism, then 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 you're then you're doing good. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, some of them get get hurt so bad. We've got. Oh, be- it's, it's ridiculous. The, if you get that extreme laxity, that is just, it's like, I've had one or two women that basically just were hypermobile to begin with. And then there's just like, well, I'm already flexible. I might as well make myself even more flexible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just like horrible when you, you, you're, you're walking around like, like jello. I mean, it's just, ugh, it's not, a I, I would get, thing. we had someone who, who was used to be hardcore in yoga show up at one of my events who had managed to rip her hamstring off her pelvis with yoga. You don't even like, see you don't even see that kind of injury in the NFL. It's usually mid hamstring. It's not off the pelvis. Yes, yes it just pulled, peeled it right off. I was like, how do you, how do, you do that? It's amazing. Yeah, she she's like, yeah, I learned my lesson as well. It's a little bit like putting your seatbelt on after the car crash. Well, yeah. you know, I'm glad you learned it. It's a little late. It's a little late, but at least at least you learned it. It won't happen again. Well, Coach, we've been yapping here for a while. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for coming on. Is there one one work? Are you still you're still working with gymnastics bodies? Is, yeah, is gymnastics bodies is our is our Einlon program. Uh, okay. It's uh, it's it's pretty intricate. A lot a lot of people don't realize. So that that the interface we I spend about a million dollars on. So uh, it's actually interactive. So mm-hmm. they can go in and they can, uh, they can choose, you know, monthly memberships, 30 bucks. They want to do annual. It works out to 15, but, uh, cool. They can go in. The system will generate workouts, follow, follow along video workouts for them, uh, based on their choices. It'll adjust sets, reps, uh, tempo. Uh, they can build their own They can go through. It's pretty, it's pretty, uh, hands off. And then uh, I'm getting ready to offer a, I don't know if it'll be ready before the beginning, end of the year, but we've got a uh, premium that's coming up where things like this, we're going to have multiple live monthly discussions, more hands-on training for the people who are interested. Uh, that'll run $150 a month. Yeah. So we've got, we've got different price points depending on what they're interested in. But yeah, it's all at gymnasticbodies.com. Great. Any closing thoughts to send us off? Closing thoughts. Uh, patience. Yes. Patience. And uh, if you're feeling lost and you're not sure what's going on, study. Yeah. Study. Uh, spend spend time learning. When, when I was coming up, the, the poor national team coaches that were senior to me, I was pinning people in bars by pool tables with pool season. Show me how that wrist thing works again. And they're like, if I show you this, will you go away? And I said, well, if you show it to me and I understand, yes. But, uh, you know, take, take notes, study. I was probably the, uh, well, I was the only, I have uh, a stack of notebooks, probably, I don't know, two, three feet high. Cause every training camp I'd, I'd get a new notebook, you know, just, Training thoughts, progressions for us, routines, uh, technical development, conversations with Chinese Olympians, Russian Olympians, whatever, whatever nuggets were there. And 
you know, at first, especially when they're going, you know, review them a lot because it's the repetition that's going to internalize it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I still have them. And I haven't needed to look at them for years, but they were extremely important when I was coming up. It was very important. So, you know, study, be thoughtful. Awesome. Coach, I really appreciate you coming on today. I really enjoyed our discussion. I hope to see you down here in Nicaragua soon. Uh, how, how hot is it down there? I'm kind of a wimpy guy. Dude, I, right now it's about 75 degrees with a breeze. Oh, In the shit. afternoon, it will get maybe 88, but the breeze off the ocean is amazing. Uh, it's selling it, point. Guys are going to sell out. Oh, man, I'm, I'm telling you, once I get the gym set up here, this is this is going to be the place to be. I mean, you can buy beach rent property here for $150,000. Sweet. How, how far out is yeah. the gym from finishing? Uh, well, we, as they yeah. say in Latin America, manana, right? So mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I moved down here is to kind of maybe push some people yeah. a little faster. We're going to start with the outdoor version. I've, I'm getting some people hired to make some basic things like pegboards and parallel bars and and think we're going to start with the basic stuff all that stuff's going to be wooden it's going to be on the beach uh and then the building itself uh you know you're dealing with the the company that i partnered with so that that's going to have a pool and a restaurant um so that's going to take a little more time but my goal is to at least get some foundational you know things set up on the beach to get going right away and then eventually add the the building and all that, but I want to get that going as soon as I can. And that's one of the reasons I moved down here permanently. So I could, you know, poke some people and, and uh, get things rolling. Thank you so much. Well, I I mean, I love training people. I just don't want to be inside from five in the morning to late at night. When I, when I, when I stopped as a national team coach, I'd been inside walls for 40 years, sun up, sun down. And then I spent like the next three years just, traveling the globe constantly i'm just kind of yeah as you can see i don't spend eight hours a day inside anymore (laughs) i'm I'm as as dark as some of the locals here (laughs) this this is my dark so yeah i wouldn't do (laughs) too much if you get a little little morning sun you'd be surprised what kind of solar callus you can build i'm scottish so uh, and you'd be amazed how much it's just like gymnastics right if you walk on your hands and you bear crawls enough if you get the morning light enough, you'd be surprised what kind of solar callus you can build up. I like that. So. Solar callus is a good term. All right. Coach, have a great day. Good to talk to you. Thanks. You too, Jim.